Proverbs 4.23 says, Watch over your heart with all diligence. Diligence, a very aggressive, all the time, consistent, every minute of every day, of every hour word. Watch over your heart with all diligence, for from it flow the springs of life. So our purpose tonight is um, we're going to record something that we're hoping that all of the people on the leadership team uh, in Grace Christian Fellowship, which is currently 13 people, plus there's about eight or so people that we've talked to about uh, studying, growing, continuing to be discipled so that we could hopefully uh, expand the leadership team into 21 to 24 people over the next year to year and a half. And what I want to talk to us about tonight is some things that go along with some of the things we started this summer, and we'll put it on the podcast under Disciple Making uh, series. And um, I want to talk to us tonight about some things that that go are go into making disciples. And... Um, the real challenge for Grace Christian Fellowship in the next few years is can we multiply to around 20 or so people who really know how to walk a person through the process of entering the kingdom of God. This process is made more difficult by the state of contemporary Christianity where we have uh, literally thousands of people who have prayed a sinner's prayer, have even attended church, but are showing no biblical signs of actually being converted to Christ. And so, uh, you know, we we uh, have been uh, on a 40-year search of the Scriptures to basically say, how do we restore biblical Christianity Frank, frankly, how do we store, restore something that really works for people? Jesus said in John 10.10, 10, I came that they might have life and have it more abundantly. The thief comes only to kill, rob, and destroy. And um, what, what the state of things are is that very, very few Christians are really living in anything like the abundant life that you would get out of the Scriptures. Lots of American Christians are living an abundant life in some materialistic way. And that makes it somewhat all the harder because you have to discern your spiritual poverty if you're going to uh, begin to really cry out for grace to grow in Christ. So I want to cover pretty much two big topics tonight. The first one is uh, really for everyone, for both yourself and for anyone you're trying to help grow in the Lord, and that is how do you discern where their heart is at? And how do you work with their heart? Because the gospel is first and foremost God creating in you a new heart and renewing a steadfast spirit in you, giving you a joy of salvation and sustaining you with a willing spirit. The gospel creates new life, and that new life 
should look a certain way. And unfortunately for so many today, that's not happening. And so um, it's not just a matter of, of mastering all of our foundational materials. We have worked very hard for a lot of years on having um, outlines to various Bible studies, the Grace series, a Gift series, a Kingdom of God series, uh, Christ in the Old Testament series, et cetera, et cetera. And uh, we have tried to uh, spend a lot of time trying to recapture the full biblical gospel from what's, what many are calling the American reductionist gospel. But it's not just a matter of getting that information to them. It's a matter of their life being transformed by it. So one of the concepts you want to always keep in mind is in discipleship, there are three kinds of discipleship biblically. There's information, which is important and perhaps even foundational. But that information has to become formational or transformational. If there's not a changed life, then there may, in fact, be a false conversion. And the church, which is supposed to be the pillar and support of the truth, has, in, for a number of reasons too much to go into tonight, we've addressed these a lot of times, the church that's supposed to be the pillar and support of the truth in many ways has become the subordinator of lies and perjury, giving people assurances that aren't, that aren't based in reality. So what we're talking about is how to help someone get into reality. So make sure, the first thing I want to talk about tonight is make sure that you have in your mind so deeply that you can use these in your praying for people, in your thinking for people, and in your working with them, certain uh, foundational concepts. And then we're going to use those to talk about uh, matters of the heart. So the first one, of course, is what we call the EPDC. And we draw a clock, and at 12 o'clock, we put the letter E standing for evangelism, the proclamation of the kingdom of God, the proclamation of the gospel. Uh, don't assume that because people have prayed a sinner's prayer or gone to church all their life, Logan and I were just talking about this on the back deck today, um, Often the way it's working today is actually people growing up in the church are at a disadvantage because the way it's supposed to work is the Scripture's supposed to be our reality and truth. But because Scripture reading is at an all-time low, what people uh, are observing in the churches that they've gone to has become their standard, and they're assuming it's biblical because the church says we're Bible-believing. And so this becomes actually, in many ways, as we're seeing in a number of incidents in just in the last year in our own church, that people coming to Christ with the least Christian background are at a decided advantage <laughs> because they don't have such wrong and low expectations of who God is and what the gospel does in their heart and mind. And so sometimes you need to be willing to tend a person's heart, that is, tend the soil, until God brings about some manifest changes, some obvious changes. 
So uh, the EPDC, Evangelism or Proclamation of the Kingdom, sometimes you really need to revisit what are the missing elements of the gospel. And is some of the issues like America's radically individualistic gospel versus a gospel of the kingdom and of corporate community. That's why, as we go through the eight essential elements of the gospel, the history of Israel is so important because God always intended to, to, to make a people. And if you're just a go-to-church-on-Sunday person, but you're not really becoming a part of a community that lives under the lordship of Jesus Christ all out for his kingdom and glory and is a missional community— and you are uh, yourself studying and training and growing in character and so forth so that you can be part of the mission, then you're missing a full conversion. And if you study um, theology, what you're supposed to, like if you study systematic theology, uh, you know, we're going to skip for tonight, why biblical theology and historical theology are foundational to really understanding true systematic theology. But if you study systematic theology as it exists today, in such a thing as Wayne Grudem's systematic theology class or something like this, you'll you, when you study the doctrines of salvation, you'll start with a chapter about the effectual calling of the gospel. That's important. Like Paul says to the Thessalonians, he thanked God that they, 1 Thessalonians 2.13, he thanked God that they received the gospel from him for what it really is, the word of God and not of man, which performs its work in those who trust in it, who follow it, who believe it enough to obey it. And um, so the gospel is effectual. But what we have today is less than the full gospel. And so sometimes uh, you're going to have to wait people out because part of what's happening today is there's this kind of smug complacency. Complacency means to be self-satisfied. People come into the, our church assuming they're much more mature in the things of God than they are and that they know a lot more than they really do. And people assume this despite the fact that as we're going to look at some evidences of conversion, there aren't many evidences of conversion, despite the fact that they say the Bible is the Word of God, yet uh, they've not even read, say, the New Testament once, let alone read the whole Bible, uh, let alone taken seriously reading the whole Bible in some sort of serious love God with all your mind kind of way. And so sometimes you just need to extend grace and belonging and love and community with them. And, you know, we've seen it take one, two, three, five, seven years for God to get people ready to, to truly get started. And it's worth loving on them and including them and caring for them that long until till God ring, or, or brings a conversion in their heart that wants everything God has for them. So, you know, what we're going to kind of talk about tonight is how do we you know, uh, Paul talks about being a co-worker with the Lord. You know, he planted Apollo's water. God causes the growth. How do we co-labor with God? Because at best, we're kind of like midwives. We don't bring about the pregnancy, so to speak, of the, of the seed of God being conceived in them, nor do we uh, know everything that's going on in the prenatal gestation period or anything like that. 
but we are co-workers with God in the, in the birthing into God's kingdom. And what's happening again today is a, if you study soteriology after the effective calling of the gospel should be uh, the new birth. And that new birth should create a clean heart. It should create a desire to seek, follow, know, love, serve, enjoy God. You should be able to, a person who's really born again should, should have tasted experientially that the Lord is good. And, and, and they should be loving God back because God first loved them. Does that make sense? Now, conceptually, they separate conversion, but new birth and conversion are supposed to be sort of bang, bang. But what's happening today is um, very similar to birth defects or to someone being born four and a half pre- months premature. People have prayed a sinner's prayer. People have gone to church sometimes for many years, but they have less than a biblical conversion going on. And so what you want to do is have the diagnostic tools to see that, and but then have the wisdom not necessarily to share that and, and to sort of bring them along to be able to hear that at, at God's timing. So again, back to the EPDC, that's all about evangelism, the proclamation of the kingdom, leading someone to a true, complete, and full biblical conversion. That's an important concept. Now, that should lead to the, what we, at three o'clock on the clock is the P for pastoral or shepherding care. That is the idea that because man has fallen, and because in man's fall, he was alienated from God, and we have the whole teaching called eight exchanges made at the cross. When you, make, you, when you exchange your life for Christ's life, you should see rapid, consistent, ongoing sanctification and maturation issues where they are growing up into all aspects of Christ. Growing up in their self-government, being set free from the sins that bind them. Uh, growing in their knowledge of God's word by leaps and bounds. Um, you know, um, if you notice, uh, we, you know, we had a little, we had four married couples in our church had babies last uh, April, May range. In a 48-day period, there were four babies. And if you look at how big they are already, it's like quite amazing, <laughs> right? I mean, they just, if in, in real life, Things grow if they're being fed the milk of God's word. But that's not happening today in the church. So part of pastoral care is coming alongside what we want to do is multiply the number of shepherds. God gave apostles, prophets, evangelists, shepherds, and teachers. And shepherds and teachers are people qualified to one-on-one walk someone through the growing process. If you're a husband, the first shepherd and teacher you are is to your wife and your children. God won't let other people lead people to Christ that you're supposed to lead to Christ. Um, You've got to begin to take seriously that calling. And a shepherd feeds the sheep, protects them from wolves, 
combs their wool, keeps the, keeps the burrs out, and so forth. Sheep will eat in the same place, but that's why Psalm 23, he leads me to green pastures or new pastures. Sheep need to be, uh, you need to say, gee, you grew in this area and you ate all the food here, but you stayed here. Let's move you over to this pasture and, and have you start growing in these ways. Okay, so um, all of these, as we're going to get to, keep in mind where I'm going is that all of these are me- measures of the heart. But pastoral care is just the idea that if, because of man's fall, that's why people are so screwed up, then being reconciled to God should actually start to heal their inner wounds, heal their mind, uh, form their character. They should start progressing in self-government, and uh, reconciliation to some degree should happen to certain relationships in their life, family especially, of course, and uh, they should be rightly related to a church community under authority and serving and tithing and giving and faithfully attending and not missing and on the Lord's Day especially and other times and in all this, and then they should be growing educationally, vocationally, and so forth. So that would be the P of the EPDC. D is discipleship. Now here's one of the great missing elements in conversion. Um, I asked someone to read read Acts 9 and Luke 5 the other day, and you should make note of those, and you should know these chapters well. Because one of the things that's not happening is people are not getting converted that includes a calling. Until you have a calling, a sense that you are called of God, and it's a corporate calling, not just this, not this I've been called of God, and I'm going to be and thinking of yourself, and I'm going to be a great preacher, and thinking of yourself in very narcissistic, it's all about me ways, but understanding that you're called to a great mission as part of a people who are called to a great mission, and you know which people you're called to that mission with, and you know that you're called to build a certain kind of city of God in a certain kind of temple of God and all the other metaphors we've been studying on Tuesday nights at Wright State about the church. Until you begin to understand that you're called and that you have, and all Christians have the calling to three kinds of ministry. First is to the Lord himself. Read a good book on the attributes of God so that your praise and worship will be more biblically informed. So you'll have a bigger, more correct view of God that you, who you're worshiping. Most people are worshiping a God who's far less than the God of the Bible in their mind, in their heart. But learning to do intercessory prayer, learning to do spiritual warfare prayer, prayer, worship. Our first ministry is our ministry to God, sitting at his feet and learning his word like Mary in the Martha and Mary, Luke 11 thing. You know, so sh- you know, um, one of the hardest things it is to, see, to get con- help people get converted to today is to loving God with all their mind. We, are, we have become a nation that has been declining educationally for 160 straight years. It's really picked up by, since the 1950s, 
and it gained a whole new momentum in the 70s and 80s. And we are not, we are a people who people don't read books and they don't study scripture and they have hours for Facebook and they have hours for all kinds of things that more, more or less rot your mind, television and other video things, but they don't have any kind of time for things that strengthen your mind and develop your mind. So many people's minds are pretty much like a big fat guy that eats a lot of jelly donuts and, and sits around with the remote in his hand. If you could see their brain, that's what their brain looks like. They've eaten nothing but donuts and bacon. And, you know, and, uh, and their mind is like slush. It's like this blob of oozy. And um, it used to be that you had to take a course in logic and logical thinking to graduate high school. Now, you don't only, not only have to not take that in high school or college, most people don't even know that that's something you should study, how to think logically. <laughs> and, uh, and so most people, uh, you know, uh, even though he was a secular humanist, Ray Bradbury predicted in his book in 1954, uh, Fahrenheit 451, that we would come to a time when nobody read books. Everybody had, he, he predicted he, uh, people would have these things on their ears to take in messages all the time. And there would be big screen TVs everywhere you went. Uh, now, keep in mind that there was no such thing to listen to back then. He was predicting that. Nor was there any TVs bigger than nine inches. And only the very rich people on the East and West Coast had TV at that time. TV hadn't really started. Well, it was just starting to spread across America. But he's predicting that you would, you know, like if you walk the tunnels in Rice State, which I do for exercise, there's big screen TVs like... Like what they can't afford to have you away from a big screen TV for more than thirty seconds, <laughs> you know. And and uh, he said one of the consequences of this would be all news and all intellectual content would be shallow sound bites. And if you even look at like the, the Christian stuff people put on Facebook, it's all usually, you know, a big percentage of it is just this little shallow little snippets that are cutesy about what you would be happy if your third grader did, but hopefully you wouldn't be happy if they, if, if they were still doing that when they were 12 or something. So, you know, so the discipleship thing, basically on the EPDC, I'm still working this, um, the D is people have to begin to see they're called of God. And that call of God is going to take all the discipline all the knowledge, all the wisdom, all the character, and taking every raw talent gift that he's and turning it into a skill so that you can win, become all things to all people. Can you hold your own in a conversation with a professor of biology on evolution versus creation? I think you should be able to. 1 Peter 3.15 says that to always be ready to make a defense for the hope that's in you. Can you speak to people from different cultures and help them find Christ? In America today, we are a country of many subcultures. How you doing, Davion? Hanging in there. You look sleepy. 
hang in there. This is good stuff for you. Um, so, um, you know, uh, educated, non-educated, rich, poor, uh, know-it-alls, uh, insecure people, what, what have you, do you know how, do you know how to help a homosexual come to Christ? Do you know how to help an academic person come to Christ? Do you know how to help somebody of a different color or national background or educational background come to Christ? The D part of discipleship is, is helping them see clearly, like the angel had to say to Gideon, O thou mighty man of valor, even though you're not that today, God has called you to it, and he certainly will equip you if you pursue him violently for it. Now, but by violently, I don't mean you beat up on anyone else. You have to beat up on yourself. And that's one of the biggest issues that, in terms of these hard issues is just incredible passivity that we have today. Most people are meandering in life. They don't have much sense of direction, and they're not working very hard at becoming. And the gospel is always about being and becoming. Christ makes you new so that you can keep becoming new. New creation, new birth, conversion leads to a process of sanctification and maturation where you're maturing and being sanctified and you're starting to be mature and sanctified when you can regularly and often birth new believers into the faith and and bring them to maturity. That is God's goal for everyone. That is normal Christianity. God's goal is that you would be equipped. In part, you know, part of the low expectations thing, you, you, there's lots of ways you can try to help people see this, but it takes a while to sink in. For instance, um, we were just joking with Beth before the meeting about becoming a doctor. And she's like, I don't think I want to do seven more years school. We all take it for granted that someone who's going to be a doctor is going to do 12 years of intense discipline study in order to dispense pills. But we think it's radical that a, you know, like no church would have longer than a 30-minute message or a 40-minute message or, or we, you know, say you should study the whole Bible or become a theologian or whatever. But you're called to heal whole lives. Your calling is much greater than a doctor's, and you're not going to lollygag into it. And it takes, it takes, um, so, you know, how do we, so that's one tool, EPD, then the C is continuum. When they've discipled to the point where they're leading their wife to Christ deeper and deeper. They're always helping their wife become more knowledgeable, wise, mature, submitted to Christ, joyous, etc. When they're, the husband and wife are able to do that with their children, when single brothers are able to do that with one another, 
because our second ministry calling is always in the church. We're called to do this in the church, all of us, on the EPDC. And our third ministry calling, in terms of our discipleship calling, is to, to be able to, to, to win the lost. So that's one diagnostic tool, EPDC. A second one, you have an outline called the 555 deal principle in front of you. Now, this, this, um, there's two diagnostic principles, so I'm actually going to give you three at the start here, in here. And one is um, the five first steps of entering the kingdom of Christ and God. Hopefully you all have this memorized by now. I'm a surprise sometimes when I'll ask people to name these five steps and some people still can't do it. And we, you know, I've taught on this more than a hundred times since the start of the church. And we ask people, memorize these five. You can spell, right? <laughs> like, I mean, if you can read, then you've memorized some things. You can do this. Five first steps of entering the kingdom of Christ and God, receiving Jesus Christ. We just addressed some things about uh, new birth and conversion. We have tools. If you're sensing that that's not what's happening, we have books like Today's Gospel, Authentic or Synthetic. We have articles like Disciple by Juan Carlos Ortiz, Chapter 1 and 2. We All of our teachings are gospel-centered, John's and mine. We have podcasts. We have a uh, little bit more involved books like... Um, Oh, uh, Dallas Willard's book, The Great Omission, Reclaiming Christ's Essential Teachings on Discipleship. But you may need to work with people for a while about their gospel foundation. And these are people that's actually harder when they've grown up in Bible-believing uh, churches that claim to believe in salvation by grace and by faith. Because true grace is not just acceptance so that you turn the grace of God into licentiousness and do whatever the heck you want, but true grace will call you to love, serve, obey, and follow God. You won't do it so you can become accepted. You'll do it because you are accepted. And that's one of the things I hope to hit tonight is you always have to go back to, as you're calling people higher, you always have to... Uh, Make sure you go back and kick the tires of re re understanding. You're not calling them to try harder so they can be accepted. You're trying, you're calling them be, to exchange their life for Christ's life because they are accepted, because Christ always lives to make intercession for him. Because 1 John 2 says, I write these things to you so that you uh, won't sin, and if you do sin, indeed you have an advocate, Jesus Christ the righteous, because they have been made righteous, because Romans 5, 8, 8 and 10 say that God demonstrates his love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. And then in verse 10, he changes it to while we were enemies of God, he died for us. Because of these things, we love because he first loved us. The more they really have received the true love and forgiveness of God and confess their sins and ask God to rescue them from their wicked heart, the more they have seen their sin nature and their poverty of spirit, the more they'll respond with a zealous zeal for God. 
anything less than a zealous zeal for God, something is wrong with their conversion. Hopefully that, so you, so you have to kind of know that. Then, you know, have they moved through water baptism, baptized in the Holy Spirit, delivered from demons, healed, mental healings, spiritual healings, emotional healings, physical healings? Is their life looking more whole? And are they living in a biblical New Testament way of life, not an American churchianity way of life? Now, the fear of God and the grace of God are not antithetical, by the way. Some people need to, to understand the true fear of God is to realize that in all covenants there's sanctions of blessings and, and, and uh, chastisements. He disciplines every son he receives and so correction and these kind of things are not, they need to be, you need to speak truth in love. People need to be called further. You're trying to take them out of a quagmire. So the last um, diagnostic tool is, the, is what we call the five vital signs of life. And interestingly, in Grudem's Systematic Theology, on the chapter on true and false conversion, he has two inward signs that people should, should experience when, if they've truly been converted, and five outward signs that, that everyone can observe. The first one is hunger for the Word. If you're always having to try to get them to read the whole Bible and they're not hungry for the Word and and so forth, that's, that's, they need to go back to the and say, boy, God, save me. Help me to know the true gospel. Because ba infant babies that are born alive want to nurse all the time. <laughs> Every couple hours. They don't have to, oh, you, you know, I, I haven't ever seen, uh, so only one, one dad with a young baby's here. I'll pick on Dave Yatton here. I haven't ever seen Dave Anna Taylor talking to little Joy and saying, now, now Joy, we need you to nurse more. <laughs> you should listen to my five-part series on how to, why nursing is important. And uh, let's memorize 72 verses about the importance of nursing. Like newborn babes, long for the pure milk of the word, that by it you may grow in respect to salvation. If they're not hungry for the word, something's really wrong. And they need to fear God and cry out to God and say, give me true grace, find me. John 8, 30 through 32, Jesus says that if you, you abide in my word, then you're truly my disciples and you'll know the truth and the truth shall set you free. So if you don't abide in his word, then you, you're a false disciple. And you can go to church all you want, but that really won't solve the, you know. And so when people are there, 
you can take them through. We're going to look at uh, one of our Bible studies tonight called The Bible and the Importance of Bible Study. You can, you can try to t- help them because sometimes we hope sometimes it's not a lack of life, but there's also other layers of just lack of discipline and lack of our culture is just not a reading culture and and people are developmentally behind in their reading skills. And, you know, you hope that it's that there's more to it than, but often you, you really might want to take them through some some gospel materials so that they get the real thing, conversion. Second uh, of the five vital signs is lifestyle changes. Let's look at a couple of the verses that go with that. Matthew 3, 8, and 10, hopefully you know those. Um, Matthew 3, 8, and 10, John the Baptist says, preparing, and by the way, John, what is John the Baptist's ministry? To prepare people to receive Christ. Right, so this is uh, this is why um, John the Baptist, the angel, appeared to to Zechariah on the Day of Atonement. That is the day of being reconciled to God, and prophesied the, to Zechariah the coming of John the Baptist, who's the new Elijah. So, if you do the math, by the way, that would have been between September twenty second. And September 30th, do the math with me here, Josiah, you'll like this, because you always hear these evangelicals going like, Christmas shouldn't be on December 25th. According to the Bible, it is. September 20th to 22nd, 22nd to 30th, and somewhere in that eight day, because the Jewish calendar is different than ours, is uh, the Feast of the Atonement, when the angel appeared to Zechariah and told Zechariah, that he would give birth, to, that that he and Elizabeth would give birth to John the Baptist, right? Six months later, the angel Gabriel appeared to Mary and, and announced to her that she would birth the Christ. So that would have been approximately March 25th, right? And uh, the Bible makes it clear that it was exactly six months later that the angel appeared to Mary in nine months from March 25th is December 25th. So if you read the Bible a little more thoroughly, you'll get rid of some of the myths of our cultural weekend celebrate Christmas and Yeah, well, uh, give or take one or two days, Christ was born approximately December 25th, according to the scriptures. So, anyway, threw that in, no extra charge. Um, John the Baptist, therefore, bring forth fruit in keeping with repentance, and do not suppose that you can say to yourself, we have Abraham for our father, or I was born in the such-and-such evangelistic church. I prayed the sinner's prayer with this or this evangelist. For I say to you that God is able from these stones to raise up children to Abraham, and the axe is already laid at the root of every tree. Every tree, therefore, that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. This is New Testament. True repentance always brings forth fruit. So uh, let's look at James 2, 17 and 18. He says, 
Even so, faith, if it has no works, is dead, being by itself. But someone may say, you have faith and I have works. Show me your faith without the works, and I'll show you my faith by my works. Verse 19, we should throw in, no extra charge. You believe that God is one. You do well. The demons also believe in shudder. Like, I believe in Jesus. I put little Facebook things on. <laughs> you know, the demons believe in God more than most Christians today. The issue is, are you on his side? Are you following him? Are you obeying him? Are you living exactly where he wants you to live? So, First uh, John 2, 3, and 6. It's hard to turn your pages of your Bible when you get old. By this we know that we have come to know him if we keep his commandments. You say you know Jesus? He said, I didn't come to abolish the law, but to put the law into force. Do you keep the Lord's day? Do you, uh, do you have no other gods besides him? Do you steal from your employer by not being a good worker? Are you stealing from God by not developing your gifts, talents, and so forth? But whoever keeps his word in him, the love of God has truly been perfected or made mature. By this we know that we are in him. The one who says he abides in him ought himself to walk in the same manner as he walked. Can you look back a half a year, a year, and say, wow, my life's a lot more like Jesus now than it was. And point to specific ways in which it is. So 1 John 3, 5 through 10 says, And you know that he appeared in order to take away sins, and in him there is no sin. No one who abides in him sins. No one who sins has seen him or knows him. Little children, let no one deceive you. Self-deception, by the way, is one, of the, is one of the issues of the heart we're talking about. Self-deception is a major theme of the New Testament, especially in James, John, and Jude. The, uh, the one who practices sin is of the devil. Little children, do not do, do, let no one deceive you. One who practices righteousness is righteous. Now, that doesn't mean you're perfectly righteous all the time, but do you have practices? Do you have disciplines? Do you have ways that you're seeking? Are, if you have a besetting sin, are you fasting once a week to break it? Are you memorizing dozens of scriptures about it? Are you confessing it to an older brother and getting prayer? Regularly? Often? The one who practices righteousness is righteous, just as he is righteous. The one who practices sin is of the devil, for the devil has sinned from the beginning. The Son of God appeared for this purpose, that he might destroy the works of the devil. No one who is born of God practices sin, because his seed abides in him, and he cannot sin because he is born of God. By this the children of God and the children of the devil are made manifest, are made obvious. It's clear. Anyone who does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor the one who does not love his brother. Now, I... I don't believe this means that you never struggle with temptation or sin or whatever, but you just don't make peace with it and have the same sins one year, two years, three years later. You know, if somebody said, well, you know, 
okay, you're telling me you have this besetting sin, that you're undisciplined in your seeking of God and reading the word. So what is your plan? Who are you confessing that to regularly that's praying for you? What scriptures are you memorizing about it? Are you going back and saying, God, uh, help me understand the gospel and the grace of God better because I'm, I'm going to love if, if, if I'm first loved. Maybe I've not let the, the true love of God break through in the real gospel yet. Does that make sense? If someone just lives the same lifestyle, then it becomes questionable whether there's life, whether they've really been born again. When a baby's alive, you know it. When the baby's not alive, you know it too. The desire for all the things of God are all God's wills. Number three, con. Now, in Acts 8.36, we're all familiar with this account where Philip, Philip, after he's in Samaria, is taken up by the Holy Spirit and translated, beam me up, Scotty, to Gaza, which means, you know, he went from Samaria to Gaza, which is about three days' walk instantly. Pretty cool. Uh, <laughs> um, and he comes across this Ethiopian eunuch. And the Ethiopian eunuch, interestingly, says, there's water. Why can't I be water baptized? Now, he, Philip hadn't taught him about water baptism, and he didn't go, like, do I have to? He basically had been in Jerusalem, and he knew the Christians were using, he understood that, that, that because he was this guy was a God-fearer, knew the Old Testament, he understood that God births people into a people, and there's covenant ceremonies of initiation in all covenants, and that the Christians were using water baptism so he's saying, why can't I join the people of God? Now, it's a whole issue that he was a eunuch, and therefore he couldn't have been circumcised. And uh, that issue got addressed in the next few chapters, that uh, you didn't have to become circumcised because the Judaizers wanted to say you had to become a Jew first, then you could become a Christian. And the New Testament made it clear you did not. He couldn't have been anyway. <laughs> Uh, so, uh, well, I don't know how they, never mind. Uh, let's not go, let's not, uh, let's probably should get that off the message. <laughs> Number four, uh, the desire for biblical Christian fellowship and accountability. It's a, like, do people have to encourage you to be regular in your, in your attendance at the Lord's day and other times and so forth? We know that we've passed out of death and into life because we love the brethren. He who does not love does not abide in death. Now, this is more than you like playing euchre with the brothers or basketball or whatever, fine as that is. This is that you love to worship and you love to pray and you love to study the word and you love to talk about what God's doing in your life and you love to share testimonies of what God's done in your life. Fellowship means sharing the life of the Father and the Son by the Spirit together, that we're having spirit-to-spirit -spirit fellowship with the power of the Holy Spirit flowing through our conversation. Lastly, witnessing. Luke 24, 33 says that after they recognized Jesus in the breaking of the bread, they returned to Jerusalem that night. Now, it was already dark, and it was a seven-mile trip, and everybody knows all the roads around Jerusalem were littered with thieves who would kill you. 
and they, they didn't care. They couldn't wait to tell the things they've seen and heard. Do you know there's no verse I've ever been able to find in the, the Bible that God endorses blame shifting and excuse making except Acts 4.20. In Acts 4.20, Peter and John claim to the Sanhedrin that we cannot stop speaking the things we've seen and heard. It's, you know, and God doesn't rebuke. It's the only I can't help it defense I've ever heard in the Bible. <laughs> you know, Adam was like the woman whom thou was made. Blame shifting and excuse making are not endorsed anywhere else in the Bible. But these guys blame shift and ex- we can't help it. <laughs> we just have to, it just comes out. Like we just can't stop speaking the things God's done in our life. Is that your testimony? I can't stop telling people what God is doing in my life. So, now, I, want, I, don't, I didn't really mean to spend that much time on that. I'm always preaching that because I'm, frankly, always got people I'm trying to reach with it. Use that to try to reach people. Now, let's get over to Matthew 13. And we're going to start in uh, verse... Um, let's see... We are going to start in verse, oh, shoot, no wonder I couldn't find it. I'm in Luke 13. Matthew, Mark, Luke. Okay, got it. Thought I had a, I thought I had a piece of paper stuck in Matthew 13, so it would turn right there, but I apparently moved it. All right, so we're going to start, um, instead of telling the parable, like what Jesus does is he tells the parable, then later he tells the meaning to the disciples. We're just going to jump right into the meaning. So he's, um, Matthew 13, if you don't know, is right in the middle of Matthew on purpose. And I wish I could develop the whole purpose of Matthew as God's final kingdom lawsuit against Israel and the birthing of a new people, the church, and, and how Jesus is fulfilling all the prophets and all the law in Matthew and so forth. And, and how he's the new Moses and the new Elijah. And I wish I could get into all that, but Right in a very important part, he right in the middle, he tells seven parables of the kingdom of God. And the first one we call the parable of the sower and the seed. But as you all know, it really should be called the parable, listen carefully, of the soil preparation. What farmer would not prepare the soil? Now, we have been brainwashed in evolution, and we think that maybe this is some modern thing. All farmers from 3000 BC, well, probably to 4000 BC, Cain and Abel, you know, prepared the soil. And Jesus tells a parable about a farmer that just goes out and scatters the seed on all kinds of soil indiscriminately as whether it's prepared or not. And he's not necessarily endorsing doing that. He's actually just saying that doing that will have these four kinds of soil that it hits in this kind of result. But a wise farmer will listen to this parable and pray to God and work with God and be a co-laborer with God as you're discipling people. The real issue, more than all of our materials, we're going to get into how to use the Search the Scripture series hopefully tonight, more than all of our materials, the real issue is seeking God to in, in cooperating with God and using scripture yourself to prepare the soil to make it the right kind of soil 
And, you know, I can, I can tell you the people who God has brought into our church, you know, we prayed this summer a lot and we prayed that God would bring certain people who were, that he had foreworked in their life and prepared their soil so they were ready for the message of the kingdom we had so they would grow quickly. And we have some people like that. And then we have other people that we're waiting out and loving on and making a part of things and, you know, trying to get the soil healed. And sometimes the soil needs dug up and sometimes it needs plowed and sometimes it needs the deep plow and sometimes it needs rocks removed and it needs weeds removed and all sorts of things competing with it. So Jesus says this, uh, um, here then the parable of the sower, Matthew 13, 18. When anyone, 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 I really tried to train people to, whenever you see the everyone and anyone's and stop and think, because part of the whole spiritual warfare that we face is that, that you or someone you're working with is an exception to the anyone, but you're not. God is no respecter of persons, anyone, anyone. Every single human individual who hears the word of the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what he has sown in his heart. This is the one whom seed was sown beside the road. That doesn't mean that you don't stay in the relationship and continue to ask God and partner with God to work the soil to move it to a different level necessarily. Now, you have limited resources and limited time, and you have to be wise. That's why we work as teams and pray together and so forth. have to be wise about whether this is uh, good soil or not good soil, and can this become good soil or not good soil. Many a Christian has, out of their false compassion, spent years trying to sow in bad soil. I just want my mother to come to Christ or whatever. You know, well, you know, you're, I can't change the soil. God can't change the soil. We can be farmers with God and cooperate in a process of God changing the soil, but we need to discern whether the soil's really getting ready. That's one of the reasons we even raise up many shepherds and teachers, and, and we have a leadership team and so forth, because some people, I'm, I'm gradually uh, being called of God to work more with the guys like Sam Chen Poon, who are ready, they're good soil and good soil right now and ready to grow, and they're ready to grow right now. Because in, a, because in two or three years, he could be regularly do, walking people through this process. You know, that's the investment I've made in certain people on the leadership team and so forth. But that's why we have other people on the leadership team who are working with people who may, it may take a few, I don't know, like it's, it's not the best soil, but we love them. And so we're trying and asking God to change the soil, right? And that's why you need those diagnostic tools of the EPDC, the five first steps of entering the kingdom and the five vital signs of life. And you need to sometimes go, okay, there's, we can't seem to get this guy to be hungry to, for the word or to be faithful on, uh, with the Lord's day or whatever. Is this just a waste? 
Or is there just some reason why Satan has certain strongholds and the soil's bad and we can just continue to love him and continue to pray for him? And God will, because God can change the soil. And some people are ready to grow today. And some people, if you stay with them three, five, seven years, they may eventually get it and get turned on for God. And once a person gets really turned on for God, they'll grow real fast, always. Always. So then he says, And the one whom seed was sown on the rocky places, this is the man who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy. Yet he has no firm root in himself, but is only temporary. And when affliction or persecution arises because of the word, immediately he falls away. Now, as you know, one of the hard issues we'll be talking about is is what they call arrested development. There are people, um, Francis McNutt deals with this in his book, Deliverance from Evil Spirits. There are people who have been traumatized, people who have divorced parents, people who've been sexually, physically abused, people who, whatever reason, Sometimes people just have rocky soil, and what happens, and they, and uh, a lot of times they're finding out more and more that sometimes it's none of those kind of things. It's just bad, bad, bad character. I'm having a lot of leaders read a secular psychology book that's kind of a secular parallel to the reform view of counseling called competent to counsel called nuthetic counseling and so forth but it's just called character disturbance and what he's arguing is that all this psychological mambo jumbo about your mother bit you in your five and so forth just doesn't apply anymore what we just have is people are growing up with like jelly for their spine they've got no steel in their soul they've got no stick-to-itiveness they've got no character and so when, a, when someone is like this, what happens is they immediately receive the word with joy. Sometimes God will show them stuff. Well, I'm supposed to be a part of Grace Christian Fellowship and be discipled by you guys. And they lose it all in a week or two. Now, why? Because when a person has no firm root in themselves, when they don't have that depth of character, the Bible says that every word of God is tested as silver is refined seven times. So God allows everything God shows you, you will then go through a process where you'll be where he'll allow the enemy to try to steal it from you. And the people who get it stolen become double-minded unstable Christians. And the people who eventually learn how to hang on to something God showed them on, when they were on the mountain of prayer, worship, and God, and so forth, and they, when they're not feeling it two weeks later, they still keep it, and they still guide their life by it, and they still stay tenaciously following it. Those are the people who grow right up in the things of God. And sometimes that soil needs prepared to that purpose, and sometimes they've grown up with no dad in their life or no confrontative, challenging kind of dad and, or, or whatever, and sometimes they need someone to just stay with them long enough until they develop some steel in their soul, right, so that they're not quitters. I, I'm hoping you're hearing what I'm saying. Sometimes 
people lose the word all the time and they have no consistency because they just have no steel in their soul. And you you know, like if they've had a lot of entitlement, if they've been kind of spoiled, if they've had parents that have spoiled them, um, sometimes you you find this in older people who, if, especially if they live off welfare and so forth, you know, like government programs actually steal the, so, the steel from your soul because God actually created us with a need to struggle. When you take away people's need to struggle by bailing them out all the time, you're actually killing them. It's a terrible thing to do. Nothing from playing the piano to mastering biblical studies, to, there's nothing you can do in life worth doing that's not painstaking effort and toil and not fun all the time. That you can see this a lot in, in, in kids that have been brought up where they're having fun all the time, where they're just on internet porn or video games or TV or movies, and they're just fun, fun, fun all the time. And uh, um, so that's the second type of soil. You need, if you're going to bear fruit in, guarding, in, in helping people, you have to be aware of that kind of heart. And that's why it's great to have a team of the, why we need to raise up more shepherds and teachers, because sometimes those kind of people are worth working with, especially if God's showing them something once in a while, even though they lose it all the time. You know, there's an old pastoral joke in the kind of churches where they have altar calls on Sunday night services, and they're always calling you back to repentance, and everybody comes up to cry on the altar and confess their sins. And there's this lady up there crying, oh, God, I've sinned again, and I keep going back to my old ways, and Lord, just forgive me and fill me again. And then the pastor prays over and says, Lord, don't do it. She leaks. <laughs> you know, And, uh, you know, like, you know, like, the truth is we come to Christ broken and some people leak and sometimes they're worth staying with even though you might not see any fruit for three, four, five, seven years. There's a, an interesting phenomenon of developing in Grace Christian Fellowship where we now have 10 people coming here who quit and came back. And in over half of those cases, they came back much more ready to become a follower of Christ in reality. So I, even when people walk away, leave the doors of fellowship open. Tell them Jesus loves you, we love you. I'm sorry, you're just not ready uh, for the full things of God, but the kingdom of God is abundant and we want you to have that. But you can't have it your way. You're going to have to get on his path to do it. But we're, we're here. So that's the second kind of soil. It has no firm root in itself. And notice that it says when affliction or persecution arises. That's really important, that when, because like it says when you fast, not if you fast, when you pray, not if you pray, when you give alms, not if you give alms. Notice all the whens, because the when is saying you are going to do this. Guess what? When God shows you something, affliction, persecution, testing is going to come. It's not always going to work out, and, and you're going to say, well, gee, I thought God wanted me to get on this certain Bible study program, and then, you know, a month later, you don't think it so much. <laughs> 
So that's what leads to to a person being double-minded and unstable and so forth. And, and they, there's an old saying, the path of least resistance makes both rivers and people crooked. People who have character issues can't hang on to what God's shown them. That doesn't mean Jesus doesn't love them and Jesus didn't die for their sins and we don't want to stay here for them. That means we have to be a little careful of how we work with them. In fact, that's probably a good place to introduce this. Uh, had a situation re- recently with one of my best disciples that's uh, growing in the Lord and by leaps and bounds. And um, he uh, was working with a guy and he was all excited about how what God was doing in this life. And, this, and he just started doing this with the guy and that with the guy and the other and the other. And I thought, uh-oh, this is going to be a lesson. <laughs> and uh, in the le- there's a really important lesson. This is one that I definitely want Edwin and Beth to, to get because this is going to be really important at Cedarville. You can't help someone that you want it more than them. You know, a lot of you have already experienced that with people you're trying to reach out to and lead to Christ or if they're or lead them into real Christianity or or a better understanding of Christianity or whatever if you see it more clearly than they do and you're trying harder than they are um it's going to fail what you've got to do is begin to pray that God will motivate them and be willing to feed them as much as they can eat now which sometimes, because of damage or whatever, they may have really teeny little spiritual stomachs that can't get that just can't get much. And other guys will grow by leaps and bounds. But you know, guys like Bradbury who come to the Lord out of paganism, they they don't have all that religious baggage to get through. They don't have all these expectations that Christianity doesn't mean very much. And other guys, God has brought them to a place where they know there's a lot more, and they're wanting a lot more, and 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 they know, well, boy, I, the church should be more community, and and they're also like, yeah, the church should be more studious, or and they, you know, this and that, and then they, and then God brings them in our path, and they're like, ready, yeah, I'll, sign me up, give me the whole package. <laughs> How much for the whole package out the door? <laughs> Ninety nine ninety five. Yeah, I'll take it. Let's do. It. <laughs> Study sixteen hours a day. Great. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> Whatever. I want. I, you know. But that's because God has prepared the soil before you. And what you have to do if you're going to be effective in ministry is look, understand what kind of soil you're working with, and don't give up on the bad soil. Keep praying for ways to, to cooperate with the, the process of God in, in improving the soil. Does everybody get that? That's really, really important. That's actually more important than if we don't get to the search of Scripture stuff today. So this is the third kind. This is huge in America today. Does everyone get that? The shallow soil. By the way, almost all gospel presentations in America are decide are are decision oriented instead of disciple making oriented. So almost all gospel presentations are trying to get the person to make a decision today. If you can pray with someone to receive Christ the first time you share with them, 
then either you shared a very shallow message or they're a very shallow person or usually both. I don't try to pray with people to receive, receive Christ the first time I talk to them. I just try to get them uh, hungry to know more. If you're not familiar with that concept, there's a great book we use called Grounded in the Gospel, uh, Building Believers the Old-Fashioned Way, and it's all about a long-going catechism process to, to, to lead people to Christ. Because a true convert is a disciple who's going to take up his cross and become disciplined all his days or all her days and always be growing in the Lord and never settle. So that's the second kind of soil, and that's a very important... I hope you heard that thing. If you're trying harder than they are, that should be a red flag to you. And sometimes with those kind of people, I just let them come on Sundays. I pray for them. I, I hope for more later. Uh, sometimes I'll try to get someone who's not really quite ready for leadership yet, but but is growing toward that to work with them. Uh, just so somebody is is trying to help sh love on them and share with them. But we're just waiting it out to see if God will make them good soil. Does everybody get that? That's really, really important. This is really important stuff, Edwin. Please make sure you go back and listen to it and give it proper thought. All right, the la next one is America. And uh, the, the one whom seed was sown among the thorns is the man who hears the word and the worry of the world and the deceitfulness of riches choke the word and it becomes unfruitful. Now, um, I don't know if it's other translations or I think it's um, maybe Luke's or Mark's version. Mark's chapter 4 says, and the desire for other things. And that's really kind of important because it's not necessarily sinful things always. Did you hear that? When you're working with people, it's not necessarily sinful things that are always keeping them away from Christ. It's better or best. So obviously when you come to Christ, like sometimes you, you get rid of doing drugs, you get rid of, you know, pornography, you get rid of uh, whatever, alcoholism and you know, you're not stealing from your employee, employer anymore, whatever. And you you start going to the Lord's Day every week and you don't miss for trivial things or whatever. And then, but there's every minute of every day in America, there's choices. You can watch a television show. You can further away your life on Facebook and you can, you can, uh, Whatever. There's just the desire for other things. There's an entire advertising industry. Christopher Lash's classic verse book of the 1970s called The Culture of Narcissism. He deals with all the things that are turning us into shallow, lack of character, narcissistic people in America 40 years ago. And now there's been a whole bunch of sequel books written in the last 15 years about how much worse it's become. And the, the advertising industry is trying to create, you got to have cooler TV, more Facebook time, what, you know, have it your way, you know, uh, eat junk food, all, you know, 
all sorts of things that would lead you to be discontent. But that's what Jesus is saying to Martha and Mary. Mary has chosen the better part. She was sitting at Jesus' feet. Lisa. Yeah, there was housework to be done. You know, this is something that's a fact of American life. Like, this, you know, this church needs cleaned up. Your house probably has dishes that needs done. The dog needs fed. The trash needs taken out. The lawn needs mowed. You need a haircut. Uh, you, you need to work out and uh, buff up for the ladies or, you know, whatever it is, you, whatever it is, there are many desires for other things that are robbing your whole life in God. And if you're going to help someone break through to becoming a kingdom disciple of Jesus, they're going to have to decide to get violently aggressive about getting rid of the other things. I've seen guys that they can't make progress in the kingdom because their insecurities are leading them to ha- that they have to work out so much that they never have time for God. There's millions of other things. You know, there's always somebody's going to run a 5K and somebody's going to play euchre and somebody's going to, and, and I'm not, and none of these things are necessarily bad. It's just you've got to choose between better and best as you go with the Lord. And you got to, that's why you go back to the points we made earlier on the EPDC. Sometimes you really got to go back and, and, and start ask, talking to them. And this may be a several month process about what sense of calling do you have on your life? Because one of the things that's characteristic of American Christianity is we've turned people into pew sitters. So everybody's, yeah, I come to church. I take in the message and the worship team, and they play nice, and I sing along. And, uh, but has God, I, I never thought God might call me to le- learn how to lead worship or play, you know, play the guitar or the piano or drums or violin or something. Uh, you know, I, I, I love the Tuesday night Bible studies, but boy, you mean God's called me to be able to know that much stuff that I could walk someone through that process? Has God called me to rethink my vocational calling so that I might actually get to a place where I'm making more money in less time so I have more money, to, more time to invest in the kingdom? Part of that is what I'm talking about in terms of pastoral leadership. This is probably the place where there's a reason Jesus progresses it this way. This is the way place more people are waylaid. And what's interesting is sometimes in this last one, again, the deceitfulness of riches, the, the desire for other things. Look at all the parables of Jesus in Luke. Luke has nine chapters that Matthew and Mark don't have of material, and a lot of it includes Jesus' parables that aren't in the other ones. And some of the parables are all the excuses people make about not going forward in the kingdom. I married me a wife. I got me a farm. I've got to milk the cows. I've got, you know, I've got these other responsibilities. And we are not counseling, like not going to work and not doing well vocationally or anything. What we are counseling is you've got to be radical about prioritizing. 
And that'll only happen. You, sometimes you have to step back one step and ask them, like, what kind of sense of calling do you have? Because until a person starts to think there's no one else coming but us, and I'm part of us. And therefore, in, in when people start to see that, a, that Christianity in America is an incredible crisis, when you consider how blind it is, and the number one growing category of books you can find in Christianity today is about the crisis in evangelical Christianity and why it's not producing good fruit and why it's all falling apart, and that's being said by the evangelicals, it's, believe me, it's a bigger crisis than you know and, and you know what? If you're, you've got to begin to believe that if I'm going to be part of Grace Christian Fellowship, I'm, I'm called the leadership in changing this. And I can't just, if I, if I need to get baptized in the Spirit, I can't lollygag about it for months. I've got to press into this and get other stuff out of my life. If I'm called to biblical studies, I've got I to gotta press past some things and get into it. I've got to become not someone who just knows answers. I've got to become answers. And until you, until someone gets that inside themselves, they're going to take in good messages. They're going to take in good worship. They might even be faithful church attenders and even tithers. They might start making little pieces of fruit here and there, but they're not going to be all consumed with their calling. That's why Acts 9 and Luke 5 are so important. Read those. Because in Luke 5, when Jesus called disciples, he, it, it gives us a close-up of five disciples. Peter, Andrew, James, John, and Levi, who becomes Matthew. And they all left vocations, family. They all reprioritized immediately to follow Jesus. And that's why this third area is so important, because it's the desire for other things. You've got to start becoming realistic, like, does me and my work ethic stand between my, me and my calling? What character issues do I have that are not, am I being driven by certain kinds of insecurities, or what, what is it that's causing me not to be that radical for God? And sometimes you have to walk with people for a while, ask them, seek God, pray, one of the, I've asked a lot of our people on our leadership team to fast once a week and to pray that God would visit this church with a hunger for the things of God. Because if there's anything that characterizes American Christianity, it's complacency, self-satisfied. We're just not that hungry for God. We're just okay with a teeny bit of little God in our life. The idea of being like all consumed with the love of God is just not in vogue right now. So that's the third guy. Now, so those are all matters of the heart. Now, I'm not going to get into the search the scriptures thing tonight, obviously. Um, please give all your copies of that to Beth and Edwin because they're going to need those for uh, when you're, if, unless you, if you're going to really use them, you can take them, of course. We can print more. Uh, what was that? Lay's potato chips or some crunch all you want? Well, we'll make more. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> some kind of commercial they use. Crunch all you want. We'll make more. I think it was uh, Doritos, Jay Leno. Uh, anyway, matters of the heart. Well, we've already talked about some of them. But, you know, watch over all, your heart with all diligence. When you're working with people, be praying that God will rework the soil. 
Just because that parable throws soil on or seed on indiscriminate soil doesn't mean that God's endorsing that kind of farming. So the, if you want to bear fruit in God, one of the, you have to extend relationship and fellowship enough that by that relationship and by uh, seeking God on their behalf and by seeking the Holy Spirit and asking for wisdom, you can actually partner with God over time for him to prepare the soil. And some people will come to you with the soil really prepared and you need to just help them grow fast. Pump everything you can into them. Podcast, outlines, book, foundational books, read the whole Bible 25 times. You know, in uh, other people, it's you, you, you've got to labor over like, what's wrong with the soil, God? And how can we help this soil get better, for, ready for the seed? And, um, I'm, you know, I probably... Uh, let me just, just, we only got three minutes. Let me just see if some of the ideas of, that I haven't touched on in terms of soil preparation. Um, yeah, here's, here's a very important one. We've touched on this, but I, I don't really know all the roots of this. But again, people who've grown up in the church, especially in America's churches today, in the Bible-believing churches, they come into us with this kind of like we already know it all. We've been going to church all our life. And the hardest thing to get past is sometimes it takes gently and not blowing them away. Sometimes it takes out of relationship over time, helping them see, gee, you haven't even read the whole New Testament once, let alone like, or, you know, except, you know, sometimes it takes a while to help them see real biblical Christianity compared to where they're at. That's the hardest thing because there's this, um, there's kind of a spirit of not just complacency, which means self-satisfied, but there's an arrogance in evangelical Christianity today that says we are the Bible believers and we know what we're talking about. And I've grown up in this all my life and, and so forth. And they, uh, they have become brainwashed and it's become deep in their fiber of their being that Christianity is what I've seen demonstrated in the mediocre, complacent, uh, you know, there's actually a book called Addicted to Mediocrity about the church today, in that that um, has become, they've become convinced that's all there is. And I don't need, you know, like I, I was talking to a young man who was struggling with suicidal issues. I mean, whether he was going to kill himself, seeing a psychiatrist, all kinds of things. And it was because he'd grown up in the church and he was really having deep questions about whether Christianity is real and so forth. And uh, so over a year or two, he came to kind of a, a little bit of understanding that Christianity's true enough that he was no longer suicidal. Like, yeah, this is true. He was still depressed. He was still not filled with joy. He was still not on fire for God. And I basically said, you know, I'd really like to help you read some things that could get you even more convinced of the reality of Christianity. He goes, no, I'm good. And that's probably the number one heart issue that we're up against. I'm good. 
And sometimes you just have to love on people for a number of years before God really breaks through to convert them. So um, this, frankly, is even more than the search of scriptures. And I'll actually segue into the next teaching, which will not be tonight, uh, by just saying this. The search the scriptures series is particularly effective when you're dealing with people who've grown up in a Bible-believing Christianity because it's a way of over a year or two, six months, one year, two years, of helping them begin to see what the Bible says about the Bible because you're using the one thing that they actually have. Deep down, they believe the Bible is the Word of God, and we ought to know it, and we ought to live our life by it. And when they can see that they've always thought they were, but they're not, when they begin to see that, often they'll eventually respond to that, and that'll launch them into the things of the kingdom. That's why I think the Search of the Scripture series is actually, I designed that on purpose at Wright State to reach uh, the kind of guys that uh, basically had been brought up in Bible-believing churches who had that, I'm a good Christian because I put stuff on Facebook about Jesus verses, and I, I know all the Christian rock bands and, and all that. That's always a clue, by the way. I've never met anyone who was really into the Christian contemporary music. It wasn't an incredibly shallow person. It just goes hand in hand. It's part of the culture of that. And, um, um, you know, it's it just kind of says, I'm into trivial stuff. I'm not into real stuff. And, uh, and, so, you know, pray to God that he'll deepen them over time and, and help them become more serious about the actual Bible instead of a few little Bible verses here and there taken out, you know, because you need to read the whole Bible to understand any of it. 